Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Chad, and Brian is on vacation this week, so I get the pleasure of uh, speaking this morning. Um, as you know, we have been in the book of James, and uh, we're going to continue that. So in week one, um, Brian talked through, really, what does it look like and mean for us to be alive in Christ? And uh, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the temptation is, that we're alive in him. And in week two, last week, we looked at uh, really what does it mean for us to submit and bend and bow beneath God's word and then to live it out and obey it. Uh, and so as we look at the book of James, and Brian alluded to this, James is kind of, it punches some, you know, right in the face sometimes. I mean, it's, it's one of those books where, you know, rubber meets the road. It, it, uh, faith meets life, or if you like me, Oreo meets the milk, all right? I mean, that's kind of one of those things. Like, this is getting real, all right? So James is like that. And as you look through James and as you read through James, you're going to kind of see some common themes. And Brian brought these out. James deals with identity, our identity, who we are in relationship with God and in Jesus Christ. And so as Brian looked at that, as we talked about that, um, and as you think about the identity, um, it comes from really James and his identity. Because when you look at James and you go back, and remember Brian introduces this fact, that, Brian, uh, that James is the, not Brian, James is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, he grew up with Jesus. So think about that. You're growing up with Jesus. You are in the same house as Jesus. You are the older brother of Jesus or younger brother of Jesus, a sister of Jesus. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in there and it's like Jesus did something. And, you know, and all of a sudden you're going, it was Jesus' fault. And Jesus is like, I, I don't know. I mean, like, Mom, he's lying, I promise. And she's like, I don't lie. You know, I mean, think about growing up. You can't blame Jesus for anything. If you did, you know, it'd be like, what are you doing? Well, James kind of grew up in that environment. He saw Jesus grow up to become a young man, to start public ministry, walked out in public ministry, saw the miracles, but never accepted that Jesus was Messiah at that point. It wasn't until the resurrection that James then looked at it and said, okay, he is who he said he was. I'm looking back in history and going, yeah, that, all of it lines up now. And so that was miraculous in itself that James, the brother, didn't believe Jesus until all of a sudden this resurrection happened, something miraculous happened, and he says, I'm going to trade in my own identity, and I'm going to believe in my half-brother. I'm going to believe in Jesus, who he said he was. And so that transaction did something in the life of James. It did something so significant that James just didn't say, hey, I'm a follower. I'm going to be a leader. And so James took on leadership in the church, in the early church in Jerusalem, began to lead that church, led the movement, the way of Christianity during that time. He would later then write this letter and dealing with his own church, the own people within his, his, the congregation in Jerusalem, and he's dealing with, what, identity issues. And so he's kind of looking at it and saying, who are you really? And how does that line up with what I've experienced in my life in relationship with Jesus. Well, when you think about identity and you think about who you are, um, there's a cool game. Have y'all ever played Two Truths and a Lie? Anybody played that before? All right, it, like you're being bashful. Or, okay, so let's just, it, like I like raising hands, so just played it. All right, so if you've not, it's pretty simple. It's Two Truths and a Lie. <laughs> you're going to catch on really quick. So you find two truths about you, and then you find one thing that's not true about you, and you kind of share it, and then you figure out, like, all right, you play it with someone else. What is it that is the lie about that person? So I'm going to play it with you this morning. You don't know me, so this is going to be fun. All right, so here's my two truths and a lie. Let's look at this. Here's my, my, my truth. I have hiked over 1,100 miles of the Appalachian Trail. All right, 
1,100 miles of the Appalachian Trail. N number two, I have a YouTube video that has been viewed over 150,000 times. Third, I've eaten tofu at a Baptist, I mean a Buddhist <laughs> monastery in Hong Kong. That'd be different, wouldn't it? I, like, I don't even think they exist, but all right, I've eaten tofu. All right, so let's, let's just, we're just going to play along, all right? Who thinks, number one, that I've done that? Raise your hand. All right. Who thinks, number two, that I've done that? This is the truth. All right. A little less. How about number three? You think I've eaten tofu? Oh, that's pretty good. All right. So here's the thing. You don't know me. You don't know what is true about me. If I had a truck outside and it had AT stickers all over it, an overlanding package, guess what you would expect? That I have hiked over 1,100 miles. Well, I don't, and I've not hiked over 1,100 miles. So that means I have eaten tofu at a Buddhist monastery, and I have a video online that has 170,000-something views. All right? So here's the thing, though. I only show you what I project about me. So many times, though, the, the things about me come out eventually, right? When you're around someone, you kind of feel like, oh, yeah, you get to know them, and you'll hear some of those facts and those kind of things, and you're like, oh, I kind of get to know this person. You get to see that person. Well, your identity begins to shine, all right? So when you think about your identity, and we're talking about it in light of James, in, in James we're going to be looking this morning at James chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at in light of what's true about us by looking at two truths and a lie in James chapter 2. All right? So James chapter 2, um, and we're going to start in verse 14. We'll, we'll reference and come back around 1 through 13, and we'll look into chapter 3. But we're going to focus in on James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. All right, so let me read it to us. If you have your Bibles, it's great. If not, words are going to be behind me. It says this, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters? Remember, James is writing to people he knows. He's talking to this church. So we understand this. If you, if you say that you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. Very dismissive. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Verse 17, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now someone may argue, some people have said, or some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and counted him as righteous, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab, the prostitute, is another example. 
She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road, just as the body is dead without breath. So also faith is dead without good works. All right, so we're going to tackle the lie first. All right, here is the lie. Good works make you right with God. All right, so I'm saying that's a lie. You you catching? There's a little tension already because I'm saying it's a lie. James comes up and says, hey, what do you say? You see, you are shown to be right with God by what we do. So I'm saying that James is lying. All right? That's dangerous, isn't it? Like, James, you're lying here. So I'm saying this is a lie. So if you've grown up in church, you've been around even two weeks ago when Brian said, hey, I want you to repeat after me. Good works don't save you. You are not made right with God by the things that you do. He made us repeat that, if you recall. And so as we're looking at this, and you think about that in light, this is a lie, here's what this reality is. Most of us live according to this lie. Most of us live by this thought is that good works are going to make me right with God. It may be because of your church background. It may be because of what you see. But something deep within us, embedded within us, there's something in our minds that go, if I do right, act better, act right enough, if I can do something, give more, do more, I can be made right with God. And what is that? What is it within us that, and all of us are like this, we're we're all like this. This is embedded within the human fabric of who we are. Because we really do. We feel like we can do something. And here's what it is. God, the creator, created us in his image to reflect him. All right? So we are to reflect God. And so in that, what we end up doing is we feel like we can do something or act in a certain way like him to reflect him best. And so what we do is we end up wrestling with this idea that we've got to do something in order to please God, in order to be made right with him. And here's the catch. You think about it. Everywhere you look, in all world religions, all world religions are based on that. They're based on creating a pathway for me to do good works in order to reach and have a right relationship with God. That's how all of the world religions work, except Christianity. Christianity is different. Uh, Philosopher Peter Kreef, brilliant philosopher, was at Notre Dame, Boston College, just a brilliant philosopher. He says this. He, He illustrated it this way. He said, just imagine a mountain. God is at the top of the mountain, and everybody's trying to reach God. So all world religions, what they end up doing is they're creating their own path in order to reach God. They're toiling, they're laboring, they're getting all the good things, they're doing the right stuff, they're, they're doing great stuff, but only to reach God. And he says, Christianity's different. Christianity is God looking down and seeing man toiling and laboring and trying to reach him said, I'm not going to have that, I'm going to send Jesus to come down into man. So Jesus came from heaven, walked earth, walked sinless life to bridge that gap. That is what's so unique about Christianity. So Christianity is not based on what you do or how much or or how better you act. It is based solely on what God did through Jesus Christ. So the lie is this, that in some way, your good works, what you do, how well you do it, all those things are going to make you right with God. You're going to wrestle with this. It's been wrestling with forever. You're going to wrestle with it this week. In fact, the closer you get to death, guess what happens? You're weighing. Ah, 
I got to do a little bit better. You've been, you've had water cooler conversations, right? You've, you've had just kind of little, you know, you know, I got to do a little bit better. If God's going to, you know, so we have that mentality. Like if my good can outweigh my bad, then I'm going to be in right relationship with God. You're going to wrestle with it. You're going to wrestle with it in the future. So how do we look at that? How do we know that we are made right with God? That is a pressing question. Most people are asking that question. How do I really know? Well, you can't believe this lie, that your good works are going to make you right with God. So we have to look at the truth. So let's look at this truth, all right? Here's the first truth that we're going to look at. We are made right with God through faith alone. We are made right with God through faith alone. Now, let me back up. Now, this creates the tension, and we go back up into, all right, I disagreed with James. Brian disagreed with James. So what's going on here? We can't be, James can't be true and Chad and Brian be true. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to look at even a greater tension, and the tension is between James and Paul. Because if you are a Bible reader, you study the scriptures, then you're going to know that Paul says something quite different about what faith looks like. And it's not works-based. And James is saying something quite different. And we look at that and we go, oh, there's something that's odds. James and Paul, there it is. Christianity can't be right. They disagree. I mean, you got two, you know, what's going on here? Let me just say that they're in harmony with one another. And that's what we're going to look at. Is how are they at harmony with one another? <clears throat> so if you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. All right? So Ephesians chapter 2, 8 says this. That God saved you by his grace when you believed. Now, other translations would say, it is by grace through faith that God has saved you. All right? So that's the same thing. It is by grace through your belief, your faith in him. And what does he say? And you can't take credit for this. Because why? It is a gift from God. So our salvation, us being made right with God, is through our faith in God. And guess what it is? It is a gift. Now, when does a gift stop being a gift? Right? When you've got to work for it. Like, if you've got to work to get a gift, then guess, that's not a gift. That's just a payment, right? That's like somebody's just giving me something now because I've done something. Well, Paul goes on. And look at it. He says this. He says it's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. So none of us can boast about it. So it's not, a, it's not a gift, or it's, it is a gift, but it's not a reward for the good things you've done. A reward, let's, let's think about that one. How many of you, you, you have kids, you've taken them to the, you know, the store, and you have said, if you act right, you don't go crazy up in this store, I'm going to get you a toy. How many parents? You're guilty. Yep, all of us, I know you. Like some of y'all are good, and you're just like, my kids obey everything, you know, like whatever. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. What they look at is that it's a reward. Why? Because they acted a certain way. And Paul's saying, it is not how you act that you're going to get this reward. This is a free gift, not based on anything that you have done. So Paul is saying something different. Let me introduce you really quickly to a theological word. Theological word is this, justified. Now, justified, justification, there is a whole doctrine and teaching around it all throughout, you know, when you read and, and look at Scripture, and they kind of build this around it. But justified is simply this. It is the, alter, all, the identity altering of who you are in right relationship with God. Because justified means this. What God has done on your behalf is that he has looked at you and said, I'm going to give you my righteousness, meaning you don't have to do anything. You, you can't do anything. You can continue to toll, climb the mountain all you want to. But all of that is for nothing 
Because right now, you don't have that righteousness, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you this righteousness. And so what he does is he justifies you. He changes your identity. So this word, this idea that God changes our identity, it means that God has declared you, you and me, righteous or in right standing with him based on our faith in him through Jesus. If you want to read more about what Jesus' relationship and role is in that, go back to Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26 and check that out. You can just write it down and read that later. Because what happens is that through your belief or your faith in him, you are made right with God. Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look back up, though, and we're going to look at verse 23 in chapter 2 here of James. Because here's this reference that, that James pulls out, and he says, And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Here's faith coming back. How did Abraham become righteous? It was because of his faith. Now, if you read this, it looks like in James, you know, in the context of what James is writing, it looks like that James is saying Abraham's faith and righteousness was granted because of what he did by his willingness to sacrifice Isaac. Well, that's not what happens. That happened much later. What, what James is saying is this faith and what you read back, back in that verse, it goes back to Genesis 15 when all of a sudden Abraham is having a, a conversation with God and God makes a promise to Abraham and Abraham believes in faith in this promise and God says, you are now declared righteous. Our relationship is right. You can go throughout the Old Testament and go all the way back to Cain and Abel. Why did Abel, well, here you look at it and you go to Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 11 talks about all these people by faith all throughout the, New, New, the Old Testament. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abel. And so you can read this and you can see it was by faith. So all throughout the Old Testament, it is by faith that you were made right with God. All right? So here's, what was, here's what's interesting is that by faith, he was made right with God. It was based on a promise, a promise of a coming Savior, a Messiah. So Old Testament, all the Jews, they understood this. So here is the promise. The promise is coming that there's going to be a Savior. There's going to be a Messiah that reconciles us and makes us right with God and solves all of these problems that we have. So in the Old Testament, it was based on a promise. Then you get to the New Testament, and guess what? It's based on a personal Savior who showed up and delivered on this promise. So you, you, you go throughout, and you look at it from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It moved from this promised Savior to this personal Savior. But however, it was this whole, whole struggle, though, because what we see over time is that people continue to revert back to the idea that I shared, shared earlier, that we've got to do something to the lie. We've got to do something to be in right relationship with God. All right, so here we are. We're going to work. We're going to toil. We're going to try to be in right relationship with God. We know that faith is kind of part of this. Well, God said, and he, he pulled it out and said, hey, we're going to pull some laws into this equation. So in the Old Testament, you see all these Old Testament laws that were put out. Guess what? They couldn't meet those Old Testament requirements. They were continued to fall short. They weren't, they weren't, you know, I mean, there was a gazillion of them. I mean, who could? And so at given time, God and his providence he said, listen, it's not just going to be on a promise anymore. I'm going to deliver. So God delivered Jesus in the right time. He showed up to clean up the mess, to give us one final and full place to put our trust and faith in him. And so the beauty is, is that looking at just the God, God's providence is, hey, you've tried, 
you're going to be like this. You still want to be like this to try to figure out how you can be in right relationship with me. But guess what? I'm going to give you someone that will pay that, that will deliver this justification to you. So that is good news, by the way. That is what the gospel is all about. That is what the angels proclaimed upon Jesus' birth. That is what's been proclaimed for two millenniums since, is that, that Jesus showed up to make us right with God. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Even in, the, even in the New Testament, those who knew this truth were still struggling with this truth because even Peter, as Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, Peter's dealing with this same thing, and he's having to struggle to communicate, listen, you don't need to bring these laws in anymore, Peter. It's not Jesus and, it's Jesus only. And so what does he say in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16? Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying a law. And we have believed in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ. Not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law or by doing anything. All right? So Paul is setting it up. He's saying, no, listen, it is only by faith alone that you were made right with God. So this tension that we feel, like, all right, let's go back to James. James said it a little differently. This tension is not, what James is saying, is not about saving faith. It's not about a living, active faith that brings you and justifies you and makes you right with God. What James is telling his readers here is, listen, that saving faith, if it doesn't alter your identity, there's a problem. And that's where we find ourselves today. How does our saving faith alter who we are. Let's look at it in truth number two. It says this, faith is justified by good works, all right? Faith is justified by good works. Now, hear me closely because it sounds a little tricky there. You are justified only by your faith alone and by placing that faith in what Jesus has done and what, what Jesus came to do. So that is how you are justified. However, your faith is justified or validated by your good works. And that's what James is driving at, is that your saving faith, your active, your, your living faith is only justified by your good works. It's validated by that. It doesn't take away that the fact that you are, but guess what? If you are, things are going to look a lot different. Look at it in verse 14 of chapter 2 in James. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Well, no, because that kind of faith is not active. It's not living. It's not a real faith. And he goes in, just look at 17. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good words or good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say that you have faith? <laughs> he said, that's great, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is dead? Even an intellectual assent to belief of saying, yeah, I believe that, is not true faith. It comes down to this exchange. There has to be living proof of your living faith. So as you think about that, what are these good works? What does those good works look like? 
I say that they're simply part of your identity if you identify as a Christian. They're simply part of your identity. If you say, yes, I am right standing with God because of what Jesus has done, I receive that, I walk in that, and many of us have in here, but guess what? That is going what, to, what comes out of that is your identity found in that is going to show by what you do. So let's look at this. I don't want to insult your intelligence. I promise it, it, it is an insult. I'm just going to go with it, all right? So let's, let's look at a couple of pictures. Number one, or four, I think. Number one is this. What is this? Oil, well, rig, whatever you call it. What comes out of that? Y'all are good. I mean, all right. Let's go to number two. What is that one? That's a water well, right? What comes out of it? All right. Number three, what is that? What comes out? No, where does this come from? Florida, the <laughs> grocery store. They come from a tree, all right? First, it comes from a tree. All right, let's look at this next one. What is that? Apple. Where does it come from? It comes from a tree as well. All right, so we know this. I told you it was an insult to your intelligence. So guess what? What comes out of a well? It's, it's going to come out of what it is. A, a tree that, that bears fruit, guess what? You're going to know that fruit. You're going to see that fruit. You're going to enjoy that fruit. That's just normal. That's what happens in identity. What we, but however, when, when, let me ask the question. Um, when we think about this and what our identity produces, does your identity produce the fruit of what you say is in line with? And th- that's a tough question. I'm telling you, James kind of hits us. He, he hits us. So think about that. If we are now justified by faith in God because of the love that Jesus displayed by coming down, laying his life down to make us right in relationship with God, how does our identity line up with that? All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. Remember, we read 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Ephesians 10, or 2.10 says this. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. And again, God has created all, I I believe God has created everyone in his image. All right? So in the image of God, we were created. What happened is, is we're trying to reflect God's creation or his, you know, as a created, we're trying to reflect him. Some people don't know how to do that. Jesus came and said, hey, I've got the perfect way for that to happen. So Jesus said, I'm going to make you new, a new creation, and you're going to reflect that. So by faith, in that right relationship with Jesus, we have that. So what does it look like for us to be in right relationship with Jesus, through, with God through Jesus? What are we created for? And he says this, you're created anew in Christ Jesus. So why? So you can do good things that he has planned for us long ago. And I love that. Y'all, I mean, think about this. God has created you in right relationship. If you're in right relationship with God through Jesus, he's created good things for you to do. Today, tomorrow, in years to come, he's just created opportunities. He's going to give you opportunities to bless people, to to show them mercy, to love and care and to give. He's created all these opportunities for you and I to take part in that. Long ago, he's created that. We, his creation, were created to reflect him and do good things. All right, so we established the fact that the good works that we, that we do are not for the benefit of my right relationship with God. So good works are not for the benefit of God, so who are they a benefit of? They're for the benefit of other people, right? I do good things for the benefit of others. And that's what James is driving at all throughout this letter. So you take James, and I would encourage you to read through the book of James. 
it is great. And what you're going to find is you're going to find that whole identity thread. But also what you're going to find is, is you're going to, as you look at it, is we do good things for the benefit of others. In James chapter 2, earlier in, the, in verses 1 through 13, James is dealing with favoritism. He's dealing with these people who said, hey, the rich are coming in and they're getting the front seats. And man, we're treating them different than the poor people. He said, don't show favoritism. Treat everybody normal. People that have, no, that have great need and we're not meeting those needs, there's a problem there. And so James is saying, hey, you've got to do better than this. Be better. Do good. And James says, show them mercy. Show mercy to them. In the first part of chapter 3, he's waging war on the words that come out of our mouths. He's saying, hey, listen, you can't just love God and praise God with your mouth and then, you know, walk out on Monday and cuss somebody out on 400. Don't work like that. I mean, sometimes it does, right, for us. But let's just, James is saying, like, you got to be real here. He's like, you can't do this. Like, the words that come out of your mouth, they have got to be words of encouragement and support. And so James is dealing with him. He says, do better. Do good here. There's a good thing to do. And what does he say? He says, bless people with your mouth. Don't just bless them out. And then latter part of chapter 3, James says, hey, listen, there's this whole idea about avoiding living like the world lives because the world lives in such jealousy and bitterness toward others. And, man, you live to yourself, and you're so selfish, and the whole ambition of me getting ahead and me doing me and getting you know, all that kind of stuff. And guess what? James is saying, no, there's, better, there's more godly wisdom. And says, choose better, do better. And James says, be a peacemaker. So James, all throughout, as you read even chapters 4 and 5, you're going to see this thread is you do good things for other people because your good works, guess what they do? They put Jesus on display. Your faith in Jesus and your good works puts Jesus on display. Jesus came into the world to show mercy. Jesus came into this world to bless others. Jesus came into the world to be a peacemaker, to bridge that gap between God and man. But Jesus came into the world for you. He came into the world for me. He came into the world for everybody who would say, I am going to place my faith in him so I can be made right with God. And that's what James is driving at. Like, listen, your identity, who you are deep within you, there's got to be a change. It's got to alter you in some way. So it is putting Jesus on display. James knew Jesus. He knew the teachings of Jesus. Even within this book, you're seeing some of the, the, um, the Beatitudes that come in and what, Jesus, what James would have heard Jesus talk about. I mean, he's pulling some of those things in. He knew what was going on. His identity was altered. And James is challenging us to do the same. Let me close with three questions, all right? I want to close with three questions. And there'll be some questions kind of intermingled. But number one is, do I have a living faith? You can only answer that, honestly, y'all. You, you have to answer that. Do I have a living faith? Maybe you have a faith that you feel like you grew into or, or you adopted or, you know, you, you got from mom and dad. And, I mean, it's just some kind of faith that's just, you know, like, but it's not active. It's not living. Maybe you just kind of wrestle around and you're like, is my faith really different? Have I been transformed? Has there been kind of this point in time where I know that I've been justified and set right in relationship with God? Do you have a living faith? 
You know, Brian asked us in week one, he said, go ahead and find your pulse. Remember doing that exercise with him? And he said, hey, are you alive? And, and you, you, you only tell if you're alive, you've got a pulse, but how are you telling whether or not you're alive if your faith is alive and active? Well, James points back and says, it's going to be because of good works. So question number two, does your faith produce good works? Does it? I mean, like, are you doing good things? For others, what does that look like? And number three, do others see and benefit from my faith? Do others see your faith being active and living, and do they benefit from that? So a few questions there. How am I showing mercy to others? Am I giving to those in need? Am I, am I showing favoritism? Am I showing prejudice toward people? Do I dismiss certain people that aren't like me because I just don't like them and the way they do that and dress and act and whatever? I mean, and James is saying, no, show mercy to those people. How are you showing mercy? How are you showing mercy by those who show up and are you giving? Like, we've got this great wall of needs out here, at, you know, Love Local, and it's a great opportunity for us to participate and just put tangible opportunity to those who need it most. So how are you showing mercy? How are you blessing others with words? Hey, at work, around friends, even in your relationship with your spouse, how are you blessing them with words? How are you loving them with the things that come out of your mouth? Are they encouraging? Are they gentle? Are they, are they uplifting? What does that look like? You have great opportunities in the people that you impact and you're around to not let things that come out of your mouth be so different than who you say you are. So how are we blessing others with words? And lastly, how am I bringing peace to others? How are we wrestling with this whole idea that, man, I, I can't just, you know, be bitter towards somebody or just hold that bitterness or, or be jealousy because they've got something and I don't have. And I'm going to live like the rest of the world by just going after the things that I want and I'm trying to get at. James would encourage us and say, hey, listen, if you're going to bring peace to others, you can't live like that. So how are you bringing peace to others? What does that look like for us? At the time that James was writing this to the church in Jerusalem, he was hoping that something would change within them, that their lives would align with what they said that they believed. So today, what does it look like for us, the local church? For to say that, man, my life is going to align and be aligned with what I say and what I do. So how do we wrestle with that? My encouragement to you this week is that as you just go throughout the week, read, read the rest of James, read it from one to five and just look at it and say, all right, God, how do all these interconnected teachings and those things that James is saying, how does that line up with my life? Next week, Brian's going to come back and finish out uh, James and just we're going to see how all of this happens just to intersect with who we are. So let me close in prayer as we, uh, as we close out. So God, I know that there's probably somebody in here that they have not been made right in their relationship with you. God, that they've trusted in their good works, their good things. They've, they've trusted in a false um, sense of hope and a false good news and gospel that they would be willing to say in just humility, and I'm not right with God. And say, so God, right now, 
I pray that you just speak to them. That right now that they would say, I am not made right with God and I want to do that right now. If that's you this morning and you want to do that, you can just talk to God. And you can say something to God like this, God, I realize I'm not, I'm not in right relationship with you. But thank you for Jesus and what he can do in my life to make me right with you. So I admit that I need that. I turn from living the way that this world would say to live. I turn from um, all the things of my past and my present. And I invite Jesus through faith to change me. Maybe that's your prayer this morning. And if that is, I just want to encourage you in that. Talk to someone. But maybe this morning we're just battling with, all right, man, is my faith and my identity and my action in line? Maybe that's just something you need to just confess and just talk to God about. That you need to talk to someone about. So, Father, I just pray that our hearts would just receive the word today and what you, through your Holy Spirit, may be speaking to us, that we'd take action in that. And I pray that you would give us the courage to obey and to make those steps forward so that we could put Jesus on display in our work around our friends all throughout North Georgia. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.